man, I'm glad to finally get up here. You know what it's like sitting there just waiting for your time to come? It's not good. <laughs> um, Scott and Shelly are at a wedding. I can't remember if it is a family wedding or if it's a friend wedding that he's doing. But anyway, they're out of town. And uh, so I'm covering for him today. Thank you, Phil, for the songs that you've led. Talking about listening. So pay attention. True story. There was a little country church, uh, probably about 100 people, uh, preacher, uh, you know, kind of one of these older guys, sort of been doing it for a while. But there was this older man that sat, I guess up here on the pews front somewhere, and he would, this is about the time the preacher started preaching, he'd just kind of fall off asleep. Now, some of you may identify with that. Um, And uh, so he decided, he was getting frustrated, and he decided, that's it, that's it, I'm just going to get back at this guy. So he's preaching along, and of course this guy falls asleep, and he looks out the congregation, he said, okay, everybody who wants to go to heaven, stand up. So everybody stands up, except of course for the old man, because he's asleep. So he says, okay, sit back down. So then he says, okay, everybody who wants to go to hell, stand up. You know, of course the old man jumps up, startled, <laughs> kind of, you know, kind of catches his breath, looks around, he goes... Preacher, I don't know what we're voting on, but me and you are the only ones for it. So, anyway, got him. First Samuel. We're going to be in chapter 3 in just a minute. But um, just to give you a little bit of background, this is a pivotal time in Israel's history. It's a transitional period from the rule of the reigning, I'm sorry, from the rule of the judges. So kind of a loose confederacy. Uh, to the reigning of the kings from what we might call a federation of tribes uh, that pretty much everyone did as he saw fit because remember Judges, I mean, yeah, First uh, Samuel, the book just preceding is Judges and the very end of Judges says that everybody kind of did as they saw fit. But Israel's going to eventually graduate into, under the kings, into a unified nation that would grow to be a pretty significant world power both economically and politically, at least for a while anyway. It wasn't the best of times for Israel, but it wasn't the worst either. There were no wars going on. There were no threats from hostile neighbors, although the Philistines or the Philistines were always looming near. So the book opens up in chapter 1, and which describes the unusual circumstances surrounding uh, Samuel's birth and then his dedication. You know, Hannah comes to the temple, she prays. Of course, Eli thinks she's drunk, but she's just praying for uh, this baby that she's very desirous of. And she says, Lord, if you'll give me one, I will dedicate him to you. And so then we see that the dedication process, and I'm going to open a parenthesis here. This has nothing to do with the lesson. But I noticed that uh, their dedication didn't involve giving the kid a children's Bible. It didn't involve the congregation reciting a, um, what is it, a charge? And it also didn't involve Eli holding the baby and giving a priest. So I'm thinking, are we doing something wrong? No. What they did, I wonder if we ought to start instituting this, is the family brought a whole cow, about 75 pounds of flour, and a couple of bottles of wine to dedicate their son. Anyway, side note. Chapter 2 kind of tells us about the mockery that Eli's sons Hophni and Phinehas had made of the priesthood, how they were kind of doing just what they wanted to. They weren't even uh, sacrificing things to God. They were going and taking them beforehand for themselves. 
Uh, also, this message that this mysterious man of God that shows up and gives Eli uh, this message about his impending demise. Then we get to chapter three. But if you jump to chapter four real quick, um, you're going to see that Israel goes out to fight against the Philistines. And not only do they lose the battle, they also lose the Ark of the Covenant, the very presence of God among them. So it's in the midst of all this turmoil that Samuel comes on the scene. A very young boy, probably 11 or 12, based on Josephus, uh, what Josephus tells us, but who had eventually become the priest, a prophet, and for a short time, the judge, the very last judge of Israel. So let's read our text. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. But Eli said, I didn't call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. So a third time the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood there, calling as the other times, Samuel, Samuel. And then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. So right off the bat, we kind of get an idea with verse 3, I mean with verse 1, sort of what the spiritual state of Israel was at this time. The word of the Lord was rare, and there weren't many visions. Now, I don't think God just disappeared or that he was playing hard to find. And and we have some symbolism in verse 1. Uh, two there, I believe, that says the word of the, uh, uh, the word, I'm mean, sorry, in verse three, verse three that says the light had not yet gone out because it was the job of the priest to keep the light burning during the night so that the, the Ark of the Covenant was always lit. So that's symbolism that God was still, uh, was still around. So what I'm going to propose is that God is always speaking. God is always trying to communicate, but we're not always listening. Pretty obvious that the sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were all about doing their own thing and didn't seem a bit concerned about the consequences. Eli pretty much had given up on them. I think maybe you know his eyesight was, was failing, and probably other than shaking his finger at him and saying, hey, you guys, you're not supposed to be doing that. I don't know that there was much else that he could do or maybe even was willing to do. But it's during this time of spiritual darkness that God decides it's time for a change and calls out to Samuel. So we find Samuel asleep in the worship center, okay? He's in the auditorium. Now, I don't know if I'd be too excited about spending the night in here. And some of you that are familiar with the stories of the Johnson Street ghost, 
Uh, you might not either. And I've got a few about that if you want me to tell you, but I won't, I won't go into that detail right now. Um, but, you know, spending the night in this place, dark? No, no. Anyway, so it's kind of early morning, wee hours of the morning. Uh, this voice comes to Samuel and says, Samuel. Well, he naturally assumes it's Eli that's calling him because no one else is there. After all, the old man is old. He's nearly blind. You know, maybe he needs some help getting around. So rubbing sleep from his eyes, uh, he goes to the old man and he says, here I am. You called. Eli, probably just as sleepy, says, no, I didn't. You know, go back to bed. So Samuel turns around, goes back to bed, does exactly what he's told. But now the call comes again. Number two, Samuel. And you can imagine Samuel scratching his head and wondering what's going on. So he goes back to Eli and says, here I am. You called me. Eli says, maybe Eli's scratching his head too. And uh, wondering, well, what is this voice that this boy is hearing? You know, could he just have imagined it? Maybe it's something he ate that, you know, set wrong with him. Or was it something more? Could it be the voice of God? Nah, God hadn't spoken to anyone in years. He'd certainly not spoken to Samuel before. Samuel didn't know who it was that was speaking to him. But once he figured it out, he would learn to recognize that it was the voice of God. Anyway, Eli says, no, I didn't call you. Go back and lay down. So he goes back to his bed. But before he can get comfortable, again, for a third time, Samuel. Okay, I'm thinking this is getting ridiculous. Of course, he's an intern. Interns, what do you do? Hannah Paxton, you do what you're told to do, right? Okay, so he gets up. He goes back to Samuel and he says, I mean, sorry, he goes back to Eli for the third time and he says, you called. Well, by now, Eli's figured it out. He knows who the voice belongs to. He turns to the boy and says, no, I didn't call you, but I know who did. So go lay back down. And if you hear the voice come again, I want you to say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Now, I don't know what Samuel was thinking. I'm thinking his mind was probably racing 90 miles an hour. What could the Lord want with him? He hadn't spoken to anybody in forever. Why would he be coming to speak to me? I'm just a young, young little kid. But anyway, he goes, he lays back down, and sure enough, a fourth time, Samuel, Samuel, and he answers, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So two things that immediately kind of kind of pop up to me right here. One is, is that when God calls your name twice, something big is about to happen. You remember last week, Scott talked to us about, uh, where were we at? What passage were we in? Who was he talking about? See how well you were listening last week. We were in Exodus chapter 3, talking about Moses, and he goes to the burning bush, and what does he say? Moses. Moses, take two times, take off your shoes for you're standing on holy ground. There's another time in scripture when he calls somebody by the name twice. Go back to Genesis 22, have any idea? Abraham, when Abraham's standing over Isaac about to put a knife in him, the voice of God comes and says, Abraham, Abraham, do not kill your son. I see that you trust me and anything that I ask, I know you will do. When my kids were little, this made me think of this. When my kids were little, um, I mean, they'd get in trouble. Well, of course, I would kind of, I would raise my voice. 
Larissa said, stop yelling at the kids. Okay, I said, I'm not yelling. I just have a, I just have a loud voice. Is that true, Micah? Is that true? <laughs> anyway. So she would say, stop yelling or lower your voice. And that would just make me more frustrated because I wasn't, I didn't think I was yelling. But we finally figured out something that worked. If I would kind of get carried away, she'd come up behind me and she'd whisper in my ear, Brian, Brian. And that would, you know, I'd kind of catch me. And so I'd sometimes, I remember one time, I think it was with this one right here, that I, uh, you know, I turned back and I said, I hear you, but I'm not listening. So, and that's, there's a difference there. You know, we can hear, but we may not listen. But I think another thing, so when God calls your name twice, that means something big is about to happen. But I think another thing that's important to notice right here is Samuel's response. He says, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. That's an open-ended response. It's an open-hearted and vulnerable willingness to hear God's message and do what he asks. Similar to Isaiah. When God called Isaiah in the temple, Isaiah said, here I I am, send me. Or even Abraham, when he called Abraham. Abraham didn't bat an eye. He didn't say a word. He just got up and he took off for, uh, from the land of Ur, uh, or to go to Ur, I guess, where he was going. Not very much like um, Moses, who, although he stood there at the burning bush and God called him, he said, here I am. He was then like, well, Lord, I don't know. I'm not a very good speaker. Maybe you should send somebody, or send somebody else. Or Jeremiah, when the word of the Lord came to him and he said, I'm just a child. I can't do that. In Hebrew, the response, or this response could be summed up in just one word, Shema. And maybe you've heard of Shema. Remember Deuteronomy uh, 6, 4, and 5 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That sound familiar? What is that? That's our mission statement. All right. But the Shema, mean, th- th- that word means to hear. That word means to obey. So immediately his saying that says, I am here. I am willing. What is it that you want of me? Speak, for your servant is listening. As a great prayer anytime. It shows a desire to hear, a willingness to listen, and a heart that is ready to serve and obey. So, what are some things that we can take away from this passage? I think number one is that God desires to speak to us. He didn't just create the world and walk away. God desires to communicate with us and to have a relationship relationship with us. And he's always taking the initiative uh, in speaking to mankind. You remember those strolls that he would take with Adam and Eve back in the Garden of Eden? I don't think that was a one-time thing. I think that was probably on a daily basis that he would go and he would sit. I mean, they would walk along and they would talk and they would, uh, he would want to know what was going on with them. He was desirous to have a relationship with them. Now, some may say, well, how do I know that it's God speaking to me? We'll explore that in just a minute. But one thing that God will never ask you to do is anything that goes against his will. So if it's something good probably God speaking to you. On the other hand, just because it's one of those, well, it feels good, may not necessarily be uh, God speaking to you. Number two, there's supposed to be a slide up here, my my, my slide guys. (laughs) Number two, we don't always hear very well. Sometimes we're like Samuel. We don't hear very well because we need instruction. 
Samuel didn't recognize God's voice because he'd never heard it before until Eli kind of let him know, kind of helped him understand. Same, same reason why we need to be together. We need to be interacting with each other so that we know and we understand when it is that God is speaking to us. Sometimes we're like Eli. Uh, we don't hear from God because we're a little bit spiritually sluggish. Uh, remember how many times did it take him? It took him three times to figure out what was going on. We may be tired or weary, overwhelmed or preoccupied, may even be a little apathetic or complacent, more reactive than proactive. People often tell me as they say, man, you know, I'm struggling with this. It just, I can't seem to get over it. I can't seem to move beyond. And I, I call that the Paul syndrome. If you go to Romans chapter 7, it's that, you know, do the things. I know what I need to do, but I don't do those things. But I'm like, but you're in the struggle. That's, that's being in the battle. That's a good thing. As long as we're struggling with it means we haven't give up, given up. It means we haven't, you know, let it completely overtake us. Sometimes we're like Eli's sons, and man, that scares me to say that, but I know it's true sometimes, uh, maybe sometime or another for all of us. We do not hear from God because we have closed our ears, la, 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 you know, we do that, words, and we're disobedient. We've decided that we're going to do things the way that we want to do them. But, number three, God is patient. He's mercifully persistent in calling out. Four times he called Samuel and before Samuel got it, if you will. I can tell you, I don't know how many times he's called my name before I've got it. How many times has he called your name? God is loving and patient. I found this uh, quote by Martin Luther King Jr. when he was asked about his call to ministry. He said, my call to ministry was neither dramatic nor spectacular. It came neither by some miraculous vision nor by some blinding light experience on the road of life. Moreover, it did not come as a sudden realization. Rather, it was a response to an inner urge that gradually came upon me. This urge expressed itself in a desire to serve God and humanity and the feeling that my talent and my commitment could best be expressed through the ministry. Uh, through the ministry. At first, I planned to be a physician. Then I turned my attention in the direction of law. But as I passed through the preparation of the stages for these two professions, I still felt within that underlying urge to serve God and humanity through the ministry. During my senior year in college, I finally decided to accept the challenge to enter the ministry. I came to see that God had placed a responsibility upon my shoulders, and the more I tried to escape it, the more frustrated I would become. A few months after preaching my first sermon, I entered theological seminary so if we approach God with a sincere and listening heart he's going to let us know what it is that he wants from us and number four God can and will speak to us through various mediums I hope I'm using that word in the correct way where are you most likely to hear God's voice where are we most likely to hear him speaking to us is it not right here? Is it not right here where we are in church? Where was, where was Samuel? Samuel was in the temple. Certainly we hear him in scripture. Uh, that's not to say that he can't speak to you from anywhere, but I'm pretty well guarantee that if you're in church, you're going to hear the voice of God. It may be through a song that is sung, something that I've been kind of training myself in the last uh, few months, and it's 
kind of difficult because most of y'all know that I like to sing. But it's, it's just being quiet, not singing, and not because I'm protesting. But dur- during this, uh, just right now, we sang, Jesus, My Jesus, I Love Thee, during communion. And I'm forcing myself not to sing that song but, and, and trying to see what is God trying to tell me? Is God trying to communicate anything to me? Is he simply reminding me of what he's done for me and that I just need to be thankful? Is he reassuring me in some way because of what I've been dealing with? Or is he challenging me to action in some way, something I need to do? Sometimes I just simply get lost in the sound uh, of, the, of the music, in the sound of the voices singing around me. I, uh, last week when you came up on verse 2 of Amazing Grace and he said ladies only, man, that was just so moving just to hear the ladies singing. A couple of weeks ago, I don't want to embarrass her, but we were sitting back here and Kayla Ponder was sitting with us. And I don't remember the song that we were singing, but I just, just her beautiful uh, soprano voice and, and the words of that song and how that song just, just God's grace bathed over me. Um, it may be through scripture. Yes. First and foremost, God speaks to us through his word. Uh, that's why we have Bible classes. That's why we encourage people to do daily devotionals. Um, it may be uh, the way it's read. You know, we, we have readings up here oftentimes. I know uh, sometimes when Paul White reads this deep bass voice, I can almost just feel like I'm in God's presence, that God himself is reading. Or I remember one time when Sawyer Hartman uh, read, and his tender voice just brought peace and kind of a soothing calm, calm over me. It may be through meditation that is given prior to our participation in Lord's Supper. I know a few weeks back, Carrie Makeda shared something very personal that he's been working on and how every time that he takes communion, that reminds him of the work that he's done, but also of the work that he's still got to get done because it's, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for what God has done in me and I know I need to turn around and I need to do that for others. It may be through a sermon that is preached. Um, you know, Scott's done a magnificent job, magnificent job at, at sharing uh, the word, at making the word come to life. Uh, I hope that he's speaking to you through what I'm saying today. And if he's not, I think it can only be two things. Either I'm not doing a good job or you're not listening. Is that a fair statement? It may be through an announcement. When a plea is made for volunteers to help in a certain ministry Activity, VBS Workday Saturday, or a project, do you wrestle within yourself about participating or not? Could that be God calling you to action or service? Maybe through His Spirit. I spent several days, actually weeks, but days kind of reading through and, and sort of gathering material. And then I spent several hours, you know, trying to put all, get it all from here down here on this, on this paper. That's why I don't like to preach very much, because it takes too long. <laughs> it takes too long for me to... Um, but I know that I didn't do that alone. I know that the Spirit was at work jogging my memory and helping me put things where they needed to be and, and think of examples that needed to be said. When you notice someone who's, who normally where you sit, somebody that normally sits around you and you haven't seen them in a while, you know, could that be God saying, hmm, why don't you call them? Why don't you check and see what's going on? Uh, it may be that he speaks to us through others. You may hear someone say, and it's kind of code terminology, but 
God spoke through me. God spoke to me through what you said. Has anybody ever you ever had that happen? That somebody comes up to you and said, "You know, I appreciate what you said because God spoke to me when you said that." One of the things we've we've been promoting this Wednesday night. It's coming up. Uh, when Wednesday night? When does it start? Thirteenth. Okay, good. Not, nothing here on Sunday. But we've been what what we're doing is is we're putting together some. We, we've identified about nine or ten of you guys. And we're putting together some videos, but the theme is, is, is 242, taken from the theme that we had last year. But this telling your story, okay, and just asking these people is, what has God done in your life? What is God doing in your life? How have you seen God at work in your life? And asking them to kind of share their story. One, it'll be a testimonial for us to see how God's working in other people's lives. But also, it's a way for us to learn how to share our faith. Uh, with other people. We did something really cool this past Wednesday night. There were about 150 of us that were here, and Scott kind of set it up. He sort of asked some of those same questions, and then we played a couple of songs over the the, uh, loudspeakers, and we had a whiteboard and just invited people to come up and, and, and write what it was that God uh, had done, what it was that God means, how you've seen God at work in your life. Uh, and we wrote a psalm, and maybe you saw it. It went out on the update on Friday. We'll, we'll put it out again. But the psalm of Johnson Street. And so uh, as we close, I want to read that psalm. But before I read that, I want us to say together, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So will you say that with me? Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. The Psalm of Johnson Street. You are God, a mighty God. You are our amazing Lord, the God of forgiveness, the great physician. You give us peace in a chaotic world. You are our Savior and helper, the finder of love, the holder of families. You give us family and take care of my babies. You give life and make the barren woman a happy mother in her home. You are faithful in provision and you take away our sin. You are the collector of all my tears and a compassionate friend. So let us not distort your word. Take away our brokenness and make us whole again. Jesus, you tell me all the right stuff. You are truthful. You are what we need you to be, a giver of good, a God who brings peace when we listen. You are my Savior a God of grace, mercy, compassion, and great patience. God is all the good to be, all the good in my life. Jesus is important. He's the Alpha and Omega constantly watching over me. You never leave my side. Phil, let's stand and sing.